0: from Chicago, this is Chris Roebling, substituting for Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, we feature commentary by Charles Butler, Amara Enya, Julia Klein, and Jennifer Nevins. Our program is coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in beautiful downtown Chicago, where our toll-free phones are now open. 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 in the website, beyondthebeltway.com. We would love to hear from you, and we look forward to your questions. Thanks all for coming in. What a week. What a week of news. Where, where do we begin? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a delight to be back on the program. Uh, Bruce taking a well-deserved evening off. I think we've got to uh, uh, recognize a very big national event that took place yesterday. as the March for Our Lives, which came out of the tragedy down in Broward County and the loss of uh, 17 innocent lives because of gun violence inside of a school. So the students uh, who have organized, or at least some of the students who have organized after that tragedy, uh, ended up leading, in some sense, a gathering, and there were, we hear, literally hundreds of protests or demonstrations. In French, the word is manifestations, which I think is a great expression, because it's a manifestation of the political feelings of the people who are out there walking around carrying signs, et cetera. Um, Amara Enya, your, your view of what happened yesterday, is it as significant as, say, some of the very significant civil rights marches that we saw in Washington in the 1960s?
1: I would say it is, but also time will tell. I mean, this is an issue that, I mean, we've seen in years past. What does it take for us to gain traction or to gain movement and gain, gain change on this issue, particularly around gun legislation? And so it, it the protests and the, the demonstrations, the rallies yesterday were really amazing. We had one right here in Chicago uh, where it was just refreshing to see young people who are uninhibited by um, rhetoric or particular ideologies that spoke from the heart. I think that was refreshing, and that's much needed in a debate that has really grown quite stale with just the back and forth between two um, pretty much cemented ideologies.
0: Jennifer Nevins, your view?
2: I think that as far as how effective it will be, I think that that is, it is a difficult thing to tell. But I have to say with the marches that are happening, at the women's march, then we have this march, you know, it's becoming increasingly clear that these are amalgamations of progressive groups that come together. And there's sincerity there, without a question, with um, most of these students are participating. um, I'm sure it's coming out of a a place of sincerity. But um, you really have to wonder who is behind this, who is supporting this, who is ginning this up, who is taking advantage of it. Um, it is um, nothing but predictable. We've seen this before as far as who comes out um, to um, tether themselves to this movement. So far we have the transgender movement and the um, we have racial equality, all kinds of groups coming together, latching on to this movement um, and calling it their own. And it's just becoming another one of these things things. And we're going to keep seeing these things happen um, over and over again. And what it comes out to be is a voice against um, the Trump administration, essentially, is really what it all boils down to in the end.
0: Uh, Julia, political, policy, or maybe policy and political?
2: The
3: march? Yeah. Well, certainly not policy because the students who are speaking out aren't in a place to frame policy. They the Chicago March anyway uh, was very impressive in that the students who spoke did make very specific demands of what they want to see. Uh, now that's not the same as policy right? It is, this is the outcome that we want to see. And there were several specific demands on, on, on how they want to see gun reform happen. But one of the very loud messages out of the Chicago March yesterday was that gun reform is not all that we need. And I say we, meaning the speakers, the, 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 the students who by and large represented inner city communities on the South and West side, that was repeated over and over again. So it's, 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 recommendations it's 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 uh it's an authentic uh wailing almost from a place of the single most impactful line that i heard at yesterday's march was from a young man who delivered a spoken word piece uh and his the most impactful line was it is a it, to have reached 17 in this city is a blessing I-
0: Charles Butler, uh, I want to ask you if you might expand, not just on the march, but on school safety.
4: Well, I testified before the Illinois State uh, Gun Commission a couple of weeks ago.
0: And, uh, you know, basically
4: these people are playing games. If they want to stop... Which people? The politicians. Okay. Uh, If, you know, Gary
0: McCarthy... Gary uh, McCarthy, for folks around the country, is a former superintendent of our police force in Chicago... He has just announced in the last eight days that he's going to be running for mayor against Rahm Emanuel. And
4: uh, our current superintendent, uh, uh, Eddie Johnson, they, they know exactly what to do to prevent. We don't have school violence because we have metal detectors in the school and we have armed people in our schools here in Chicago. But our children are killed going back and forth to school. Mm-hmm. Here at in 2007, last year, 247 kids were shot. Uh, 325 in 2016, where were these so-called marches yesterday? The only reason these children are marching is because this happened in a suburban school, and these things don't happen in a
0: suburban environment. Well, I, I, I asked that question on on Facebook a few days ago, and I got a, I got a heck of a lot of responses. But I, I do want to bring in this issue of school safety. Did we hear enough from the protesters in Washington yesterday about... School safety, or we or, did,
3: Why and the that? reason that we saw that we heard enough about school safety is because school safety is a sliver of the overall issue, no, as Charles not. just referred to. It, it, while it is tragic. And terrifying and headline grabbing when children are murdered in their schools it is a sliver of the overall gun violence in this country. And the Parkland students, yes, they are affluent, they are privileged, and they own that, they acknowledge that. And they, the, the Parkland students made a trip here to Chicago two weeks ago to sit down with some of the kids who are planning the Chicago March, specifically so that we're not talking just about making white affluent kids safe, but also making inner city kids safe while they walk back I want,
0: I want to hear from Jennifer yeah. and then Charles. Than to you,
2: school security cannot be a small sliver of what happened in Parkland. When the only reason why what happened in Parkland happened is he stole his father's gun. Okay, he got in. It wasn't no law could have stopped that. Okay, so the thing of it is, what is the what would the cure to what happened in Parkland be? School security. That's what would have stopped what had happened. A teacher with a gun who was trained would have stopped. What happened? Metal detectors might have stopped what happened. The law would not have stopped what happened.
0: Well, we had this uh, counterexample this week, and Mm -hmm. we've only got about 45 seconds. Amara, go ahead.
1: Well, it's not an either-or. We don't. It, it's not that we have to talk about either school safety or gun legislation. These are connected issues, and they should be handled as such. It is not that we have to focus on one over the other. The fact of the matter is, the 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 perpetrator had access to a gun. In many of the non-school shootings, these people are using guns, right? So it's happening in the schools and outside of the schools. So we shouldn't narrow it down just to school safety.
0: Just a, a, a quick answer, Charles. I, is there, is there something about this movement that we're seeing now that might broaden so that people will care about the loss of life in a place like Chicago? I don't I don't think so, not at all. Unfortunate, unfortunate to hear that. Uh, this is Beyond the Beltway. I'm Chris Roebling, sitting in for Bruce Dumont. He's taking...
5: This March, Goodman Theatre Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, Two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves an enemy of the people is exhilarating to experience. An enemy of the people at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheater.org.
0: It's Sunday night. That means Beyond the Beltway sitting in for Bruce Dumont. I'm Chris Roebling. Welcome to the radio program. Terrific guests tonight and so much to talk about. Let's get right back into it. Jennifer Nevins, is there chaos at the White House?
2: I think that um, it really depends on who you talk to. I mean, there was a lot of chaos in the Obama administration that we never heard about because the media wasn't interested in discussing what was going on behind doors um, at the Obama White House. There's certainly been a lot of um, – there's been staff changes. There's been a lot of things happening. But I don't know if that's necessarily – Chaos. I know if you look at uh, like the uh, communications director position, um, Ellen Moran Obama had her for 92 days. George Stephanopoulos was out. I think it was like 132 days. Um, You know, this is nothing. um, Switchover isn't anything that's new. It's something that happens, and I think we all knew um, that there was going to be a lot of shuffling of the deck um, during this administration. And Trump even talked about that when he was running.
0: Julia, is this just shakedown crews or is it chaos?
2: I don't know that chaos is the appropriate word, but
3: I beg to differ uh, with what Jennifer just said uh, in that Obama's cabinet, I don't know this exact number, but I'm going to say 75%, that's pretty accurate, uh, was in in place for four years. Some individuals, the ones you named, yes, Mm -hmm. those are accurate, but a good 75% of his cabinet came in on day one and they left when he was reelected. And the amount of turnover that the Trump administration has seen is unprecedented by a lot. But what, how is it affecting anything? Because how are you expected, in, any of us who ever worked in a workplace understand that personnel turnover creates a lack of continuity in what you're trying to accomplish. It takes time to get used to your coworkers to trust one another. And if you're constantly dealing with new personalities, how can you focus on anything but those personalities?
0: Charles Butler, should we be concerned about turnover at the White House?
4: I think we have competent people that the president is electing and they're doing their job. The the problem with the Obama administration, why people didn't leave, is because they were incompetent to begin with and unqualified. Mm -hmm. We have qualified people who are running this government. This country is in better shape than it's been in the last 12 years, in my opinion.
0: Amara?
1: I, 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 I'm just not sure why we're comparing it to the Obama administration. I think we can objectively look at the Trump administration and notice that there is a very high level of turnover with key positions, and there are implications to that. There are implications for foreign policy, depending upon who is coming in as in some of the ambassadorships, as our, our Secretary of State. There are implications for continuity of policy that is set to be developed and making sure that it is consistent. So it's not, we can't, I think it'd be... Uh, um, full hearty to think that there are no serious implications to having a high level of turnover. And we can also look at the Trump administration objectively without having to compare it to a previous administration. Okay,
0: I want to I want to just ask you mentioned foreign policy. And I think obviously that's extremely important for a president. And that's his job. And if it is his job, doesn't every president, Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or Donald Trump, have uh, really a right to get their team in place. And the, and so you say, well, yeah, the, that's not controversial. The difference with Trump is he had never served in government and he had never worked with these guys elbow to elbow, so to speak, to know, oh, I get along better with a Pompeo than I do with a Tillerson. It, 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 Charles, are you buying any of that or no? Well, I'm, I'm definitely
4: buying that. But see, we have adults who are – in in business. We're talking about running a government. We're not talking about people feeling good. And when you talk about continuity of policy, the policy is stated and people implement and do their job. The problem with uh, ideologues is that they put forth the the ideology. We have people today, when we decide on a policy, we go out and implement, whether it's North Korea, China, we're not trying to make people feel good.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think also, too, the thing with um, Rex Tillerson leaving, which caused this, you know, Outcry. He telegraphed from the very beginning that he was going to not spend more than a year in this administration. That was understood from the outset. So when he left 13 months later, um, it really we shouldn't have taken that um, really to be surprised by that. It was it was pretty predictable.
0: But Julia uh, Charles's point about ideology maybe that fails when you're talking about John Bolton, who is viewed by a lot of people on your side of the aisle as an ideologue and not as a, a not merely as a practitioner.
3: Well, there's no question about the fact that, in my opinion, John Bolton is quite possibly the most competent person that has yet been brought into this Trump administration. Uh, Hold on
0: one second. Fritz, please mark that tape.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know this is something that what I'm about to say makes conservatives go bananas, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Competency is not necessarily a virtue. So was Adolf Hitler competent. So I'm not saying that Trump— According
4: to whom? That Adolf Hitler was competent? I mean, really? According
3: to the millions of people that he successfully killed, perhaps. He was good at accomplishing his objectives. I don't want to get too far into Hitler. Yes.
0: Let's talk about competency and John Bolton.
3: John Bolton is competent, but in my opinion, that's what makes him so dangerous. He is actually good at the political jockeying and elbowing that Trump is fairly— inexperienced with, shall I say.
0: Are you concerned, Amara, that John Bolton is now in the White House? or Well, on the f- 9th of April, will be in the White House?
1: Well, I'm concerned because he has a much, a much more hawkish record. Um, and given the conversations that will be had with North Korea, given our tenuous situation with China, and given his record, it, 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 now this might be fine with the Trump administration, but he's definitely more on the hawkish side. So that would be the concern that I have.
0: Do, uh, who thinks any of these folks are interested in armed conflict before all diplomatic options and opportunities are exhausted.
3: John Bolton is interested in armed conflict before diplomatic uh, opportunities are exhausted with the caveat that he wants to exhaust diplomatic opportunities in a week and a half. He's, he's willing to pay lip service to diplomatic opportunities, but let's get them over with and then go drop bombs. See, this is like
4: like That's like right. elementary school where teachers will say well you 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 don't throw the first punch in the in the real boys in the big boys world you throw the first punch if you want to win yeah
0: but a hold are you're not in, are you endorsing military action before the exhaustion of diplomatic possibilities but this is and is
4: Chris on the other side of that they have got they will get to a point where they're all have have have, have the diplomatic uh, uh options will be uh, ex- uh, exhausted. With North Korea, they continue to come to the table, we give them grain, and they come back with the same old stuff. This, this is, Over.
0: This, this is what I, I mean, Jennifer, I, I know you want to make a point. My My question here is we actually see mm-hmm. for the first time, and, and, and no, it, it, look, a pox on the House, house of George W. Bush 43 Amen. And, and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, I mean, right. all three of them got together on this North... Korea thing right. in my opinion in the wrong direction right. but now the way that Trump has done this mm-hmm. we can't deny that China is now engaged mm-hmm. no question Absolutely. and China is concerned and they're acting they are actually implementing sanctions against North Korea is mm-hmm. I, Absolutely. That, that gives reason, me hope.
1: Well, It's all the more reason why there needs to be some consistency within the administration, because how can we be sure whatever strategy they have will be carried forth? What will happen tomorrow if they replace Bolton with someone else? I mean, if there's that turnover, whatever success, successful path, if we're on a successful path, might occur, we can't be, we can't be certain of it. Well, but let's it, just it, let it,
2: the it, results... Let's watch and see what the results well, are of this and not speculate as to, well, well, we're afraid that this and this might happen. Let's see what the results are to all this. Let's hope that 50 million the, people don't get killed. That the, is, the, you know, that's just out the, the, of the size, reality speak, is
4: really. the, the reality is people are given direction in the government is just like the military you're you're given instructions you're given directions you're given orders and that's what you want you don't act on your own policy you don't do your own thing this is not the private sector it's the government and that's why we have so many problems with the trump administration because you have people who are leaking like the the the, the information from the pdb don't talk to putin or don't congratulate putin that that's the
0: president's daily brief Mm-hmm. for That's listeners. Right. You yep, right. heard I'm PDB sorry. and weren't sure. PDB. And, and, and there was a kerfuffle this week about mm-hmm. the fact that instructions to the president were leaked uh, or suggestions were, were not leaked read. Or, or well whatever they but they, By we the don't president. know if they were read or not. What we know is that they were leaked and mm-hmm. that has caused and that may have And we know they weren't followed. That may have sped they have been. that may have sped the departure mm-hmm. of uh, General McMasters from the position of National Security Advisor. But Julia, you're you're not serious. Do you seriously believe that the Trump administration would go to war with North Korea before all diplomatic possibilities are exhausted? I do, mm-hmm. and, and based on, just in terms of since the twentieth of January, uh, two thousand and and nineteen or whatever it was, 17, 16, 16, 17, 17, 2017. Yeah. 17, what have you seen that would indicate that? Um,
3: everything about this president's personal demeanor is in lockstep with what Charles just said. In the big boys' world, we drop bombs on people. That's exactly oh, right. Don't I, and well, the, the, you
2: know, the, 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 the <laughs> uh,
3: and that. So the the president has uh, expressed that as his philosophy.
2: You know what? Here's the thing that has, I think, frustrated a lot of liberals um, about this president, and it's not what you say. It's when he goes overseas and has these diplomatic trips, they all turn out to be a rousing success yeah, totally. to, the, to the the to Saudi Arabia on down. They turn out to be pitch perfect. He comes across as temperate, not like a raving lunatic, and they can't stand it because it flies in the face of the common perception that they have that he's just out there to drop bombs on people. He would not be meeting with the North Koreans and what is this meeting set for May if his intention was to just go in and drop the bombs and let's just have ourselves a big and party. That, not Jennifer. what it is.
4: Let me answer that. There's a thing called respect. And Trump, people respect Trump as a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't respect Barack as a man. They thought he was weak. That's right. uh, uh, Bush got a little respect, but they respect Trump. And you have to have respect uh, when you when you go out here on the stage,
3: they is
1: the most of the un- world, the
4: rest possibly, of the world, possibly okay. the rest un- of the world. I'm
1: unclear as the to wrapping here in moments. I mean, I'm unclear as to they had have respect for Trump as a man. What that even means? Well, I'm gonna tell why. you what it means. They, they would you know, not have respect for President Obama. I mean, they didn't. I, 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 they respect it's either the policies or I just I'm unclear as to the gender notion of respecting someone as a man looks like and why that has to be the lens through which we view leadership because it respecting is
6: leadership.
0: You, it is we've got a lot of lenses out here and we're trying to view a lot of topic, topics we're going to have self-introductions after the next break and then we're going to talk more about China and tariffs it's beyond the beltway Sunday night Chris Roebling sitting in for Bruce Dumont thanks for joining us and we'll be right back Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your
7: dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799 7096. That's 760 799 7096. Or visit him online at bryansellsthedesert.com. Your toll free phone lines are now open.
0: That's 1 800 723 8289. 1 800 723 8289. Sitting in for Bruce Dumont, I'm Chris Roebling. Time for our self introductions. Amar Enya.
1: So my name is Amara Enya. I am a public policy consultant. I'm also a lawyer, a community organizer, and was a supporter of Bernie Sanders in his presidential run.
4: Charles Butler. Uh, my name is Charles Butler. I'm a conservative talk show host. I've been a lifelong Republican. I am a political operative with the GOP. Um, and that's about it. Oh, and I predicted that Donald Trump would win in June of 2015, by the
0: way. <laughs> Julia Klein.
3: Um, So I am a uh, marketing and sales coach and consultant, and I focus on messaging, which is something that uh, is increasingly uh, relevant for the political, uh, uh, sales is everything in politics. I additionally spent seven years as a Chicago public school teacher, which certainly informs my approach to a lot of the ways that I see the world.
0: Jennifer Nevins.
2: Professionally, I am an educational consultant. Um, I was a delegate to the... uh, trump nomination uh, festivities i am a recovering republican i consider myself a nationalist conservative i am well and truly fed up with the gop and i'm really happy to be here tonight
0: and i want to say julia you forgot to mention your book which is available (laughs) now you were telling me all about it so tell us your book and how do we get it (laughs) What is its title?
3: Uh, The book is called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Sleaze-Free Selling. It's an Amazon bestseller. Uh, It's a pretty good book. Uh, It's all about how to get more of what you want without being pushy, obnoxious, or rude. It's about the use and abuse of power. Oh,
2: that sounds really interesting, actually. Talking
0: about the use and abuse of power, let's talk China trade.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Segway. (laughs) Sleaze-free
0: China trade. You know, uh, President Trump announced a policy this week, which came on the earlier announcement of tariffs. But, I mean, he was focusing on China this week. And this is something he's been talking about for, I don't know, 25 years. Mm -hmm. You would find clips from Newsweek magazine in 1995 where he's talking about how we're being taken to the cleaners by the Chinese. And I, I think everybody agrees that the situation hasn't improved that much. Uh, we announced, the United States announced, $80 billion of tariffs on the Chinese, and they retaliated with $3 billion. Now, that can change in the blink of an eye, and there could be a full-scale, as experts call it, trade war. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Nevins, is the fact that China replied with $3 billion to our $80 billion, <laughs> indicative of any traction between... Trump and China's new president for life, Xi.
2: Yeah, I absolutely, I mean, you, what else could you draw from that? The fact that they came back with something else in response instead of, um, you know, stony silence or, you know, screaming and yelling in the press. They actually kind of came back to the table, which is uh, what Trump's goal was, I think. So I, I view that as really a, p- a positive thing, a positive development.
0: Mara, is this a, is this a case of Trump getting behind the Democrats and into their own constituency where he's now seen as standing up for working people and willing to stand up to the Chinese on behalf of American workers? I, 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 Do you see it that way?
1: I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I do think that it's telling that China's response was what it was. I think that the fact that they – it was – I don't want to say a weak response, but it does show Trump in a position of strength because that is a very definitive move to make, to, to have those tariffs. It's something that when we talk about protectionist economies and people shy away from that, he made a very strong statement, and China did not respond uh, very strongly. And I think that's just showing that there's some reticence on their part on, as to how they're going to engage with the United States when it comes to trade.
0: Charles, what, uh, what, what's the next step for the U.S.-China relationship in view of the fact that after the steel and aluminum tariffs were announced as global tariffs, we now have negotiations going on with the Mexicans, with the Canadians, with the uh, European Union, uh, with the Japanese. So the steel tariffs have already led to a round of further negotiation. What's going to happen with China
4: Well, first of all, the $3 billion in in tariffs that China has imposed is really a sneeze. All economists, regardless of their political bit, agree on that. It's nothing, basically. It's a blip. Uh, Secondly, uh, when we talk about – one of the things I was reading was higher costs because of the steel and aluminum tariffs. Well, that has always been a myth because at the end of the day, as a product marketing manager – and I used to be a product marketing manager for Hewlett-Packard – the – the, the cost of goods are only what the market will bear. So cost will go up inconsequential. And I think a couple of weeks ago when uh, Wilbur Ross was talking about, well, the price of, uh, of a can of Coke will go up less than a penny. I mean, who cares if American workers are working? And that's what I've been talking about for 30 years, that American workers have not have been denied jobs.
0: Julia, where did, say, Democrats go wrong on trade? Or or have they been right, too, and if so, how? So
3: (laughs) I honestly think that we are uh, giving our president too much credit to be having this sophisticated economic discussion around what he's attempting to accomplish with these tariffs. Um, While certainly he's the president and our global economy will move in response to what he does – I don't think that that was his intention with any of it. His intention with these tariffs was, frankly, to further the culture war. His intention uh, was oh, to – uh, it, it's this theme of it's not fair. They're not being fair to us. You know, we need to put America first. And that is a lifelong that, – that's the single issue around which Donald Trump hasn't flip-flopped in the last 30 years. And it's because his core personality is this one of feeling unjustly persecuted in life and in business. So these these tariffs are an outgrowth of that. Now, as I said at the beginning, his policies will have uh, economic implications globally, but that was not the intention. And I think it's important to keep in mind as we're evaluating this president and as we're thinking about how seriously to take these things he says, because I certainly—I don't know about any of the rest of you—but I'm not putting any money on him not changing his mind on this issue, as he has
2: on most of the other issues.
0: All right, you got some reaction on the other side of the yes. table. I want to give voice. I want to Jennifer that. to go first. <laughs> Jennifer,
2: <laughs> how can we effectively, or how can anyone effectively evaluate um, the outcome of Trump's policies? What when you when you? Smear his intentions like that so thoroughly and so completely that the only reason why he's doing anything, his his sole motivation is actually um, to uh, I don't know, settle some schoolyard fight. And I just think it's really pathetic that that is such a one-dimensional argument that the left puts up. I mean, it's really it's person. pathetic, like, and, I that's, and that's and that's a pathetic, that. a really pathetic statement. I'm sorry, you're a nice person, but that's a pathetic assessment. It really is I think very it's an one-dimensional. Assessment. It's one-dimensional, and quite frankly, it's juvenile. I'll just say it. It's, he's like one-dimensional say, and juvenile.
4: I would like to say this. When I predicted that Donald Trump would win, and Chris knows this because he and I talked about it, I think so, yeah. and, uh, uh, it, and people who know me know that I was predicting that Trump would win, and they said, well, why are you doing that? I said, because Trump is saying what I have said for the last 30 years and what I hear people saying in the streets. Everywhere I went, all over the country, people <laughs> were saying the same thing about Donald Trump, uh, that Donald Trump was saying because they believe it. They want America first. We want to be... Uh, in control of our assets, China, at the end of the day, is an export economy they can 't consume anything. so when you talk about a trade war they don 't consume anything they 're an export economy well, if we and, and, and those of us in business understand that so when you cut off uh, this constant we 're buying from them and their manufacturing, and your boy, Bill Clinton, by the way. Uh, when he gave China WTO status, we lost 65 manufacturing jobs. And I know numerous people who lost their jobs because of they moved to China or Korea. So, you know, we, that's, a, that's a whole other topic.
0: Plus 650,000? Oh, I'm sorry,
4: Six, 65,000 manufacturing right. companies moved to China.
0: Moved to China. All right. Now, Amara?
1: So I, 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 I challenge the notion that there is – one set of people that want America first and another set that want America not first. I think it's all about how we engage with our trade partners. I think it's about where we identify strengths that we can engage in the global markets. So I cannot say that now that Trump is president, all of a sudden he's the only one that's ever been concerned about the American economy and making sure that we have productive trade relationships with our oh, partners. Okay,
6: I, I, don't, I don't think that.
0: I don't, I don't claim that. I, I say that the, uh, Clinton, Bush, and Obama... Mm-hmm. we 're in the grip of Washington establishment, right. and in my opinion, what that means practically speaking on so many issues arms control and and tariffs i mean d- these are two terrific examples is elevation of process and indeed sanctification of process and uh, really disregarding results and so what we what we end up with in the um, the Clinton era. And I think that Clinton is a smart guy, and I think that he cares deeply about America. I I don't have any of – I don't believe that about Obama. I do believe that about Clinton. Mm -hmm. I believe that Clinton worked very hard to come up with a North Korean solution, but I think it was entirely through the establishmentarian status quo process, and we ended up – giving them $4 billion, giving them light water reactors, and they never shut down their operation the way they said they would, and they never allowed the inspections. So I, th- I, I don't think – I'm not saying there are people who don't care. I'm saying Trump's – my suggestion is Trump's doing it a different way.
4: But, Chris, I, I don't know how you can say that about Bill Clinton when he gave China missile guidance technology, which reduced their – uh, RD by okay, 25.
0: But, uh, let, let's years. not go back too far into the Clinton okay, But let's I, talk but about I, Glass Siegel. Say.
4: He eliminated Glass mm-hmm. Siegel, which destroyed our financial markets. Okay. And, so, okay, and then when you we're not, not going to relitigate you, about, the Clinton. Wait a, wait a minute. These are all things that happened to impact us today. GATT, well, I, the I General understand. Agreement, tariffs and tax. I mean,
0: those are things that affect us today. Well, we are living in a Doha round, and one of the statements that was made by the establishmentarians of the left and the right, of the Democrats and the Republicans in D.C in the 1990s was if you admit china to the WTO the world trade organization then they will begin to act responsibly mm-hmm. this was said this was if there is a stack of op-eds from the new york times op-ed page almost as high as an empire state building saying admit china to the WTO and they will be embraced by the global community now julia klein what happened <laughs>
3: Really? You want to ask the the person at the table who's already a declared non economics uh, scholar on that issue.
7: Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com.
0: Sunday night means Beyond the Beltway. My name is Chris Roebling sitting in for Bruce Dumont. (laughs) And uh, we've got a terrific panel here tonight. Charles Butler, Jennifer Nevins, Julia Klein, Amara Enya. Uh, Another big... These weeks with Trump are unlike anything any of us have ever seen. This week, his chief lawyer (laughs) handling his basket of eggs in front of the Mueller-Russia, so-called Russia investigation, walked out, said... He's not listening to me anymore, so off he, he heads for the hills. And Trump and company sort of announced that they're going to bring in Joe Genova, mm-hmm. who is a very highly regarded former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, which is a very key job overall because there's so much important litigation through D.C. And then yesterday or today Smarty. we hear that Joe De, Genova and um, his lovely better half – Have checked their client list, and now they find that they're (laughs) conflicted out of the Russia investigation. Now that has to do with Uranium One, which is one of my pet topics. But let's skip over that for the moment. Amara, how is this guy Trump ever going to get his legal team combobulated? You know, I'm not sure. I,
1: I mean, (laughs) this is—it just gets to what we were talking about earlier with just the instability and you know the, the The inability to really solidify a team I mean, I think with the Mueller case, because of the nature of the investigation and because it has been such so controversial. I actually think some of these attorneys are thinking about, is this something that I want to take on? I mean, I think they did. Luckily, they did their due diligence beforehand. I think that's the good thing that I can point out and did not get into the position only to come out two weeks later and say, oh, actually, there's a conflict of interest. But I think the, the culture around just this constant instability is creating um, some issues with this case in particular. Jennifer?
2: I think with this broad, broad, ever-widening probe of Mueller's, it's really impossible to to even not have a conflict of interest if you're someone who's moved in the Washington circles that... Um, this attorney did and almost any other attorney that that Trump could put up so I think that you know I don't know what the calculus was to him and his wife um, stepping down uh, because they had this conflict but what wouldn't be a conflict when you think about it because this this elastic investigation I mean you could be busted on pretty much you knew somebody who knew somebody who had something to do with the uranium one thing back when you know Manafort was in the Ukraine I mean it's so difficult to know what um, could be possibly be construed as a conflict of interest I have to give them credit that they actually stepped down and said, hey, we don't want to cause, Mr. President, you any more trouble um, than you already have, so we're just going to kind of bow out of this one. And so right now, they still have Jay Sekulow, who I don't think is going anywhere, thank
0: goodness. Uh, Julia Klein, is it true that the president is calling you and asking you for the phone number for legal Zoom? <laughs> uh,
3: it, might, it might come down to that any second now, it, it, but it's, it's, my, it's my, my view of the situation is that Donald Trump and everybody associated with his administration and his campaign are guilty as sin of a lot of crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what they are.
0: This sort of walks with your other (laughs) idea that Trump only has one motivation.
3: Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Two-year investigation
2: and nothing's come of it. Yeah, and
3: how many years was the Bill Clinton investigation? How long did it take us to get to there? A lot more than two years. So... um, (laughs) The I say that with with not a whiff of irony. I say that I with know. full seriousness that this that this president he is guilty. He's guilty as guilty sin. Is charged. That's right. Is, we
0: just have to figure out what to charge him with. And how? And to
3: that's do That's absolutely it.
6: correct. And <laughs> that's why there.
3: <they're>, <laughs> that is why. Find that tape some more, Julia. No, Chris, and I I understand that you're mocking me with that comment. I'm not mocking you. But the reason why that is not a joke, why it is a serious position, is because in order to figure out what to charge him with, the federal prosecutor, Robert Mueller, needs to be able to have a case that he can defend in court. That's a lengthy process of of accumulating evidence. But as I have challenged you on numerous occasions, and I have not received a satisfactory answer, in my opinion, the evidence that Donald Trump and everybody associated with him are guilty of sin is the avalanche okay. of lies
0: the lies and innocent right. people yes. don't okay lie. So, okay so very quickly you're saying that many trump related individuals
3: 80 percent of them have been ah. found
0: to have restated you say lies some say restated but they've said we twice, had no relations with russia they, they would say oh. they would say one thing and then six weeks later they end up saying another thing right this is, no, this is your you're position. understating it. Well, what I'm okay. saying
3: is that, uh, is that everybody from Mike Pence to, Michael, to Mike Flynn to uh, Manafort to John Jr. to Eric to, to to Donald himself over and over and over again, we have nothing to do with Russia. We have nothing to do with Russia. We have nothing to do with Russia. We have nothing to do for months.
0: And then. Vociferous. And, and then, then all of a
3: sudden there are more Russians tied to this campaign than there are to the Russian Tea House.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, let's now go to Charles Butler. What do you think about Julia's new I thought, legal I theory? I think it's,
4: it's totally whack, and, and, it, and it's without <laughs> substance. And, and, it, and here's why. Because when you're doing business, these people weren't, first of all, they weren't involved in government. They were, they're were business right. people. I do business with Chinese. I'm oh, trying no. to talk to Russians. The bottom line is, and so if I went into government, what's the big deal? Manafort, when Manafort was working, Jennifer, I don't know if you know this yeah. or not, but he was working for Podesta and the Podesta Group, which is a Democratic group, and Podesta ran Hillary Clinton's campaign, if you didn't know that. I did know that. And so, And so, okay. And so he was working for the Podesta Group and introducing Russians on the Hill. That's what he's known for, with his connections to the Russians, not the, 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 the Trump campaign when he was talking to the Russians.
1: But I think the, the, the point is that Manafort has been indicted and found on many occasions to have engaged in unethical behavior and in some instances- I don't think
4: that's true. But that but Amari. that is
1: what, that. then where is Manafort today? It's the appearance, even the appearance of impropriety is a problem with the administration when you have, yeah- where period. Finish, period. The appearance <laughs> <Period. If parents laughs> of impropriety is a problem. Well, then period. Barack
4: Obama's administration should have blown up. And
3: Scandal-free administration. Oh, God, no. Not, no, not, not. one, admi- ad- oh, my one God. indictment in eight years. What about Benghazi? What about Benghazi? Indictment in eight years. Hold it. Please. so that. ridiculous.
6: We're, we're,
0: we got That's gotta, a fact. One gotta, indictment in eight years. I want to say thank you to everybody. We want to, for folks watching us on TV, thank you so much for watching. We're glad that you were here, and we hope you enjoyed it. Uh Amara Enya was here, Julia Klein, Jennifer Nevins, Charles Butler, sitting in for Bruce Dumont. I'm Chris Roebling, and we hope to see you again soon. For those of you on radio, we'll be back in just a few minutes, and we'll continue the conversation. We want you to join in. Thank you.
5: This March, Goodman Theatre Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theatre. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheatre.org.
7: Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- Seven nine nine seven zero nine six. That's 760 Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com.
0: Sago sitting in for Bruce sitting in for Bruce Dumont program is Beyond the Beltway. Good to be back with you. Thanks for joining us. Great panel this evening. Folks, the omnibus was signed after some sturm and drong on Friday morning at the White House, along with everything else. Lawyers coming, lawyers going, uh, cabinet secretaries coming, going, etc. But then on uh, the Congress passes this omnibus bill. On Thursday night, Friday morning, and now everything is headed towards a signature, and the president tweets on Friday morning that he might Mm -hmm. veto it. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, as an activist Trump supporter, can you pick up the story there for us?
2: Well, there are steaming piles, and then there are steaming piles, and uh, this is a family program, so I will contain my remarks to this. That is one piece of crap. piece of legislation there, the omnibus. It's horrible. Um, it is a, a big error, um, I have to say. Everybody here knows what a Trump uh, defender and supporter I am, authentically so. I wasn't late to the party, and I have to say this was a gigantic, soul-crushing disappointment. It was a cave to, uh, I think, a deliberate thing on the part of the establishment to separate Trump's base from Trump. That is the danger. The only danger Trump really faces is his base abandoning him. Everyone else is against him. We get it. But he could make it through by dint of his base, by the millions of people who support him. And frankly, this has caused a lot of dissension in the ranks and Trump cannot afford it.
1: Amara. There was a lot that I liked with the omnibus. I mean, you know, there are some key things that I was concerned about, particularly when uh, with HUD, uh, so the CDBG program, the fact that it was doubled, I think that's huge and has major implications, especially for large cities across the country. I think when it comes to transportation, the Tiger program was expanded. That's important across the board, in my opinion, whether you're on the Republican side or the Democratic side. Um, I think there was there were some things that you could hang your hat on in there that. That I liked.
2: The Tiger program is a gigantic waste of money. They were also in charge of that bridge that just fell in Florida, where seven people were killed um, in that um, horrible tragedy. It's an organ- It's an The whole thing does not have oversight. Um, it is a cash cow. Now we're putting in three times the amount into that program. The defense, uh, this whole thing, you know, the defense thing was not something that we heard in the campaign at all. This huge urgency behind putting a massive cash influx into the defense um, military-industrial complex. Not that I'm against defense spending, because I most certainly am not, but we never heard about this. And, but when we heard Trump talking about this, right before he signed it, you would have thought it was the biggest issue that he has and let alone the fact that a recent audit of the defense uh, of the Pentagon revealed that $800 million and this is just the beginning of this audit is missing, it's unaccounted for so the solution to that is just to give them Billions more dollars in their budget. Dollars. It is a, I the budget?
0: $700 billion. It's the single it was, largest defense spending.
2: You know what? It entire. just is indefensible to me. And will it end up working out for the president? Maybe. But Char- that's not what is, what's an issue here. Charles,
0: really. uh, do we have enough safeguards in place to prevent... $800 toilet seats and $200 hammers at the Defense Department?
4: Well, it, it all depends on if people want to enforce the law, if they want to enforce the rules and regulations. That's what this basically comes down to. I know when I was a young naval officer, uh, we took everything seriously. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's any accountability, no. uh, whether it's in, in the military or in the government anymore, for doing your job. There's no penalties. People aren't being held uh, accountable. However... To the omnibus, uh, I think that Trump signing the omnibus bill sets him up for being harder because uh, this is only a six-month bill. Right. So, so I I see this, and six months is a blip, as we well know.
2: But one point three trillion in that's six okay.
4: months—that's yeah—that's okay. Well, they're not going to go through all of it. But the, the thing is, oh. I what I see as you know, from a, looking at this from a mm-hmm. strategic perspective, is he can come back and he can hold Congress's feet to the fire. He said, "I gave you what you wanted."
0: And this is what you gave me. This is what I'm asking.
2: Ideally, for. that's how it would work. Julia,
0: uh, Nan- uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer congratulated themselves. Mm-hmm. They said that, w- I think Chuck Schumer was the one who said, we don't control the House or the Senate, or the and we don't control the, the White House, and still we're delivering a, a good bill. Yep. Are you, as a Democrat, do you do you give any credit to Trump for having made this deal with your uh, senior representatives in Congress?
3: Um, so... I don't think that Trump himself personally had anything to do with this bill. Of course, there are members of his administration that were in, that, that took part of the negotiations. He himself personally, I question whether he knows what's actually in it. Um, and I agree with Amara that there is a lot in this bill to, to be proud of and to be excited about as a liberal, as somebody. It's my belief that if we're going to give away free money, we should give it to poor people, not rich people. That is my bias. Um, and I grant that it is a bias. And what I I never
4: goes to poor people, I'm I'm
3: thrilled to see that Planned Parenthood is being I I was hilarious when your post on Facebook, Chris, you the the three things that you listed as being the most deplorable elements of this bill, every single one of them, I said, Yahoo, 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 what were they, by the way, Planned Parenthood, sanctuary cities. And what was the third one?
1: Another good one is that the National Institutes of Health gets an an additional $3 billion. That's something that... What are they going to do with it? I mean, this this is critical. See, we ask what what we're going to do with it until we actually figure out that we need that research and that we benefit from that research. And
3: speaking of research, another excellent element of this bill is that now the CDC is freed up to study gun violence as a public health issue. And people are saying, oh, you know, we don't... don't, The the fact that we have not put research into why are people picking up guns with the intention of killing Because they're mentally people. ill
4: and they're on psychothropic well, drugs. Except that is a ham-fisted psychotherapy statement psychotherapy that is not drugs. helping. It, well, that's not the point. The point is they're on psychothropic drugs. Most of them are not on drugs. Many of them that are that suffering is, from depression anxiety. Every last one of them is. P- they absolutely are not. They are. Well, absolutely well, don't, don't untrue. That's factually inaccurate. That is factually
0: <laughs> accurate. Well, let's just speak one at a time. And that way, everyone can hear us accurately. How does that sound? Uh, now I want to I want to say that we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation to talk about what the omnibus does mm-hmm. with respect to sanctuary cities, and uh, I have a feeling he's not going to be you know this is not this is not going to be a, a rigging endorsement. But what do, we we hear about the polarization of American politics all the time, right? And yet here we've got this bill. That you know you guys like, and the the Mm. Republicans are upset. Doesn't somebody get some credit for? Mm. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a good idea. Absolutely not, Chris. Okay, why don't people get credit for trying to work out their differences? In your opinion, in my opinion,
4: people are ideologues, and, and a lot of people, especially on the left. They never deal with the facts, and that's the problem that I have with people on the left. Mm-hmm. They don't do their homework. I give people on the left credit for what they do, absolutely, whether I agree or not.
1: So I'm I, surprised that the the military increase in, in uh, the raises for military officers is not something that is – uh, popular. Uh, well, uh, that's, popular. It's popular. that's not. It's the, very that's, popular.
2: That little piece of it isn't. Well, but the issue. one of you brought that up with Justine. But, 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 but that is I, a I, tiny, but that is a tiny, it, tiny, yes. tiny sliver of what this omnibus bill. And you just pointed it out what that really is. That's not to say that we're against military spending or that we don't think that these folks deserve a raise. They most certainly do. But that is a tiny percentage of what's in this omnibus. So no, that's not. That's not but the case at all. it's a significant
3: percentage of the military portion, is it not? Yeah, but no, that's only No, but that, no, it's
0: not. No, it's not. Uh, giving people a raise in the military is nothing compared. They're talking about new weapons systems. Right. We've gotten down to fewer boats, fewer ships in our Navy than we have had at any time in our history. And I want to tell you, that's no way for us to be when we are a maritime nation separated by oceans from our allies and from our adversaries and sea lanes of communication, as Charles knows as a former Navy officer. This is Beyond the Bellway. I'm Chris Robling, sitting in for Bruce Dumont. Great panel tonight. Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation will join us in just a few minutes, and we hope you'll be here for that. Thank you.
5: This March, Goodman Theatre Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, Two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves an enemy of the people is exhilarating to experience. An enemy of the people at Goodman Theatre, March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheatre.org. Governor of our state. Hey, it's
0: Chris Roebling. Good evening, everybody. We're having a big conversation. You know, we've been talking about this... Uh, omnibus that was signed, and and we're going to be joined here. Let's, let's bring on Hans von Spakovsky. Hi, Hans. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, great. Hans, we're going to listen to you here in a moment, but I want you to know that you're speaking with uh, Amara Enya, who's a very prominent Democrat out here, Julia Klein, an author, and uh, a woman who's indexing a phenomenal number of Sexual harassment claims? Sexual harassment claims. And we've got Jennifer Nevins, who was one of the original Trump delegate candidates in the state of Illinois and indeed went to Cleveland uh, to nominate Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. And Charles Butler, who's had you on his radio show, which is called?
4: The Reality Check.
0: Get close to your microphone. The Reality Check. Okay. The Reality Check. So, Hans, you've been on the Reality Check. Now you're on Beyond the Beltway. I know you've been here before with Bruce. Bruce. Anyway, uh, Hans, this 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 uh, omnibus of Friday was really one of it's kind of the big McGilla. I mean, at 1.3 trillion dollars, this thing was huge and it was a stinker mm-hmm. by by many accounts. And I I even the Democrats here have been saying we heard very little about it before it happened. It sort of popped out of a toaster and the next thing you knew it was being rushed through Congress and signed by the president, even though for the last three hours before he signed it, he didn't know if he was going to sign it or you know, throw it into the garbage disposal. And, and I know you study these things. Can you help us regular people who fund all of these activities in Washington? Could you just help us and our listeners understand why this happened?
6: Well, it's because the budget process has now been broken for years. Uh, You know, it used to be that um, Congress would approve uh, more than a a dozen budget bills uh, a year, and those went through a regular process. They went through the various committees that were responsible for all the different executive agencies, whether it was the Justice Department or Defense, so they could have hearings and take a look at, you know, how much funding was justified for all these different agencies and all these different programs that we have in the federal government. But there's been such disagreement now for so long in in Congress amongst the different parties um, over what kind of spending to do and how to do it that we've been, instead of having the regular budget process, all they're able to do is when it gets close to the money running out for the government before it shuts down is they keep approving continuous resolution
5: mm-hmm.
6: uh that are always in this gigantic bill like this one which they, they have no time to review. And, it's, look, when the Democrats were in control, the same thing was happening. It, it's a problem with both parties. And, like I said, the budget process just being totally broken.
0: Well, so, Hans, I, I, I guess I, I, I want to ask you about your specific uh, one area uh, of expertise for you, uh, among many I know, is sanctuary cities. Can right. you Can you tell us what was rolled into this omnibus about sanctuary cities – And can you help us understand how much does it come from the Republican side of the aisle? How much does whatever's in this bill come from the other side of the aisle?
6: Well, in essence, uh, you know, there were proposals to put into uh, this bill and into the law the ability to cut off um, the discretionary funding, that the Justice Department has and and cut it off going to sanctuary cities. The, the Justice Department gets large amounts of funding every year for discretionary grants. These are grants that uh, cities, counties, uh, uh, governments around the country apply for for different kinds of law enforcement purposes. And and the Attorney General, basically the folks under him, make a decision as to who to award the, the funds to. And there's been a dispute over whether the attorney general has currently the authority to cut off that funding um, to uh, sanctuary cities. And the idea was, well, we'll settle that dispute, which is in the court, and just put it in the law very clearly that that, that he's got the ability to do that. That didn't happen.
0: Our panel wants to ask you questions. We're going to start with Amara Enya.
1: Hi, Hans. Um, so my question is with regard to uh, the negotiations that took place with the spending bill. And I'm, so we're talking about sanctuary cities, but I was also curious about where, what happened with the DACA negotiations and what we, where that landed, because in all that I've read, I haven't really heard very much about it. So was that part of the determining factor when we were negotiating what's going on with the funding for sanctuary cities or the stance on that?
6: Well... I- what what happened was, and, and here you've got, look. Both parties <laughs> could take a lot of blame, but but a good part of the blame here, unfortunately, has to has to go to the Democrats because remember, the president uh, came up and and proposed and said, look, I'm willing to agree to provide um, basically amnesty and citizenship, not just for the current uh, 800,000. It's actually about 700,000. DACA beneficiaries, but I'm willing to expand it to $1.8 million. But in exchange, I want funding for uh, various things uh, to increase enforcement at DHS, plus funding for, you know, enhanced security at the border. And the Democrats said, no, we won't ag- agree to that. And so the DACA, basically at the moment, um, is in a stasis position because there are several injunction orders from uh, federal district courts saying that the administration has to continue to renew uh, the eligibility of pe- people currently on it. They don't have to accept new applicants, but all the individuals who, up until now, which, like I said, is, is a little over 700,000, who currently have eligibility under DACA. That's going to continue for the foreseeable future while these lawsuits are, are in place. Uh,
0: Hans, we've got a follow-up quickly from Julia Klein.
3: Yeah, it, it's uh, it was my understanding that that, what you just outlined, was more or less the offer that the Democrats had on the table the last time we went through these shenanigans and the president refused to sign it. What am I missing?
6: Well, I'm not sure you the, – the last time, I'm not sure when, when you mean the last time.
0: The the last time DACA was up, I guess I, yeah, when, we, when we when we had the government shutdown for two point
3: seven hours over DACA because you know the the we came to an agreement. I thought I certainly understood that we that you know, the that Chuck and Nancy said uh, sure we'll give you pretty much everything you're asking for, Mr. President, if you'll grant you know these what we want uh, on DACA. You're,
6: you're, you're talking about the meeting in the White House. Well, no, because you you may recall that but, after. I, there, there were reports that, yeah, they'd come to an agreement, but after the meeting, uh, when people started asking Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi whether they had agreed to funding for uh, the wall and enhanced security across the southern border in exchange for the $1.8 amnesty, they said, oh, no, no, we didn't agree to that. All
0: right. All right so here's Charles Butler with a question.
4: Hi, Hans.
6: Uh, hey, Charles. How are you doing?
4: I'm great. How are you? Fine, hey. thanks. Hans, the, the question that, that that I have is: Jeff Sessions and Donald and President Trump said that they wanted to end funding or stop the funding to sanctuary cities, and I guess the courts had ruled that this money was already in the budget and that they could not take the money out of the budget or redirect the money. Uh, and then, and in this budget, they agreed to fund the sanctuary cities. I, I really don't have a problem with that because I see the next bill. Uh, because the president has drawn a line in the sand and said he don't send him another bill like this. And, and I think he's drawn a line in the sand. He's going to be a lot harder in the next six months. How do you, what do you think about that?
6: I, I don't know. I, I frankly was surprised that the president signed this mm-hmm. omnibus funding bill because it spends so much money. You all may recall that there's a budget control act that both parties agree to to try to you know, cap. The budget and uh, this 1.3 trillion dollar uh, bill that they just passed busts the budget cap by um, over 145 billion dollars. So it spends a lot more money than everyone was expecting to. I, like I said, I'm, I'm frankly surprised the the president uh, uh, signed it. So I, I really look. Washington is always unpredictable. Um, I really don't know what's going to happen in the next six months.
0: Uh, Jennifer Nevins.
2: Yeah, you know, um, hi, Hans. Um, you know, Paul Ryan and company made a big deal about how, explaining just like you did, about how broken um, the budgetary process is and how this kind of, they gave the impression that really um, we didn't have a choice. This is how the system works. Was it an option, I think I know the answer to this, but was it an option for the president to say, you know what, this bill is crap and I'm not going to go ahead and sign it, go back to the drawing board? What what would the uh, repercussions uh, to that, what Would what would... What would have happened there if he had done that?
6: Well, that's, that's actually a very good question. And the, the problem, I think, is that um, Republicans are scared to death of getting blamed mm-hmm. for shutting down the government. Yes. They, they shouldn't be, and let me tell you why. The, the, that term, shutting down the government, is a real misnomer, and here's why. Uh, under a series of opinions issued by the Justice Department, uh, where I used to work, um, the only uh, the only parts of the government that get shut down are those that are not necessary. What that means is that there are in past shutdowns, and, and you can easily look this up. Large amounts of the government have continued to operate. So, for example, social security checks keep going out. People who work at the Social Security Administration who have to process those checks, they keep working because they are considered necessary under those. Justice Department uh, rule. So we got to wrap up. happened if he had if he had rejected uh, or vetoed this bill? Is yeah, the government would have shut down and the the, the parties would have been back negotiating.
0: We got to go, Hans. I thank you, Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Institute, uh, Heritage Foundation. Foundation. Thank you very much for coming on, and we look forward to having you back on the program. I'm Chris Robling, sitting in for Bruce Dumont. Terrific conversation. We continue after the break. With talk about Stormy Daniels. Please stay with us. Are you planning for the day when you
7: can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com.
0: Don't say it. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Robling. I'm sitting in for Bruce Dumont, having a great time. Terrific panel tonight. terrific audience out there. Thank you for watching and listening. Uh, thanks also to Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Institute for coming on and talking about sanctuary cities and the omnibus. But as we say, issues come out of the Trump administration like, hey, like you know, Niagara Falls here, and we've got to keep up. It's time to talk about Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. And Summer Zervos. Now, these are three ladies with different things to say about the president of the United States. Um, another broadcast entity this evening has been broadcasting Stormy Daniels. None of us have seen that, but do we think that Jennifer and Evans? Do we think that Trump, the mm-hmm. Trump base, is as upset about these women saying things about Trump? as the base is upset about, say, the omnibus bill?
2: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, we had this stuff happening during the campaign. We weathered this, and and worse was being said about his, you know, supposed sexual dalliances. And none of us thought he was a choir boy going into this. You know, honestly, I'll just come out and say it right now. I would not be shaken to my core if I found out that what she's alleging is true. I really wouldn't. I would be if it happened in the Oval Office, but it didn't. So I, that's all I have to say about that. But no, the omnibus and, and this whole Stormy Daniels, Summer Zervos, and the rest of it, really, to be honest, I think it's really pathetic because uh, Bill Clinton had the same kind of allegations being made against him when he was in office, and CNN was not holding an interview with Juanita Broderick or Kathleen Willey or any of them. So I find we the whole thing what, to be ridiculous. We remember
0: how NBC buried Absolutely. their... Uh, Absolutely. I think that was the Kathleen Willey mm-hmm. interview.
2: Oh, yeah. They weren't interested at all, but they, this is they, big time.
0: You, they tape her with Lisa Myers and then they wouldn't put it on the That's air right. <laughs> and now I, mean, I really... happened to sit next to a tv on Thursday or Friday uh, uh, during work and it was on I was I was there for about six hours literally the thing was on CNN there was as far as I could tell nothing other than right. Stormy Daniels right. and Karen McDougal. McDougal. You okay. know, the only thing that's missing here... And we, should, we here- should say that Summer Zervos is not making... I don't think she's making sexual allegations. She's claiming that Trump has defamed her. About Um, her sexual allegations. She was on The Apprentice. Mm -hmm. Oh, about her sexual allegations. She
3: claims that while she was on The Apprentice, uh, Donald Trump sexually harassed her, and then he turned around and said she, as well as the other 19 women who have accused him similarly, were all lying. And her allegation is that that is defamation. So this is a second
0: second claim.
3: So the the lawsuit is about defamation because of what he said about her. I'm kind
2: of disappointed, though, because I wanted Gloria Allred to pop up again, and no, she I, didn't I, I and I I'm kind of bummed out. What you
3: said, Jennifer, is that there are there's definitely pieces of what you said that I agree with. Um, the, Such the, as the, the fact of the matter is that this sexual harassment and abuse of power, which is what we're talking about, is a nuanced issue. If it, we would not, it would not be this heated if it wasn't. So it's very difficult to make sweeping statements and uh, and still become and still be accurate. Um, so what are the, the, one of the things that I agree with you about is that I don't think that Tron- Donald Trump's base is particularly perturbed by this. I personally don't care who the man has sex with. I don't care if he cheated on his wife. I don't care if he did it in the White House, in the, in the Oval Office. I personally don't think that that is a problem. Um, however... What, this, what I do think is a problem is abuse of power, is silencing people, and that is what we see a pattern of, and uh, the the fact that Stormy Daniels was silenced by the president, the fact that Karen McDougal was silenced, <laughs> the fact minute. that the, okay. the president is attempting to silence the 20 women who made accusations against him. There's a, a complex web of of power, and what we're talking about is sources of power, and the the, the, the Outlets that the tentacles that men like Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein have okay. to exert their power and influence okay. in abusive ways among people that they have successfully silenced.
0: Charles Butler, was Stormy Daniels silenced? Stormy
4: Daniels was only silenced because she. First of all, she had sex or well, whatever. She allegedly had sex with the president or a relationship with the president. She signed the agreement. That's the bottom line. And she took the money. At the end of the day, she
3: says she was pressured into the the doing day, so. I didn't
4: cut you off. At the end of the day, all of these women coming out with these claims about sexual harassment and 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 uh, all these other things, like with Bill Cosby. You know, I I can tell you that Bill Cosby. I went to his dressing room. I said. Have a friend named Phyllis Hyman who was his, like his daughter. Anyway, was in his dressing room. This man had dozens of women in his dressing room in all stages of undress who were gorgeous. Not like these ugly women who are charging him <laughs> with, wait a minute, that- let me finish. Don't cut me off <laughs> with sexual I'm harassment. Not sure how the bottom really- line is when we, when we come back to all of these allegations about sexual harassment and wh- what's the other one that when you attack somebody, abuse of power. no, she's not an abuse of power. assault, assault, and they're talking about sexual assault. You know, these things are getting convoluted. And as an attorney, I'm sure that you know the difference between sexual harassment and sexual assault.
1: There are t- yes, there are technical differences between harassment and assault. Yes. As stated by law, right. But what I hesitate to do, and I'm very sensitive about, when people have allegations and whether they come forward immediately, whether they come forward later, it doesn't matter their appearance or their stature or any of those things because you right. we cannot right, say right, 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 right. that th- those aren't qualifiers. Where some are more, it's okay. But, and but in some the case are of aren't.
0: Summer, uh, I'm sorry, in the case of uh, Stormy Daniels, she's not alleging that the. Relationship was non consensual. consensual so, what is right? this then? She, 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 it's about making money. Her statement is I had a consensual relationship with the president, and now, notwithstanding the fact I took $130,000, I want to talk about it. And I have a DVD but, but, well, to show I, everybody.
3: I think what it gets to. I'm sorry, Mara, go ahead. didn't mean to cut you
0: off. Well, no, I was just I was speaking more to the summer
1: case, okay. the, the actual uh, harassment allegations. Okay. Case. The
0: underlying harassment of yeah. the summer case we need a program mm-hmm. to keep these straight some so where us. it matters <laughs> in, in response to the
3: question you asked Jennifer is that what what we're talking about here is uh, is is, is, is Access to power is means of power. Wow. There are many different forms of power in this world. Money is one form of power. The law is another form of power. Politi- political office is another form of power. Sex is a form of power. The media is a form of power. What we are witnessing is a woman in the form of Stormy Daniels who has figured out how to wield some significant power against uh-huh. a man uh-huh. who has a tremendous amount of political power. Okay, which she. Donald Trump has not responded to her on Twitter. Uh-huh. That means that she
2: has impacted him. What is Stormy Daniels beef is what I don't understand. This is not a case of an abuse of power because Donald Trump was not president then. He didn't was not her employer. He was nothing to her. He was a rich guy, does that make mean that he had power by dint of the fact that he was rich? Maybe you can make that argument, but then you'd have to make that argument about a rich woman, okay? So that doesn't hold any water with me. That is not an abuse of power. I don't know what she's alleging. I haven't watched the the interview here, but what is her thing? I had a consensual relationship with the president. And I want to, and I want to talk about it. About it. Yeah. Okay, he does She doesn't allege that, that he attacked her, or that he took advantage of her, or tried to fire her. Right. That wasn't within his purview don't, to do. You do not know is that because she has not been allowed to tell her oh, story. Wow. How would it please be? How
3: it. is it it she to tell her story? Stop and she's it. saying while she did sign stop the NDA, it. she is claiming that two things happened. That she's claiming that she was pressured into signing that oh, NDA. She didn't want to. And the second, and, and that she, she, she did. It. She did tell her story in 2011, and that story was swamped by this, uh, this, this these tentacles of power that I was referring referring to but, before. Uh, Donald uh, Trump's Julia, operation it, swamped that but story But what is the story
2: that I slept with a married man? We but don't that's know. her story. I slept well, with the married man. Big we, deal. No, we don't know that that's the extent oh. of the story because we haven't heard it. At the end, end of it. the
4: day, oh. how low has this country uh, sank when we when we talk about, we're talking about a porno star. this in the pornography. Who the president same. slept with. Who cares? Supposedly. It's just as immoral for him as it is for her to What is immoral to me is that we're talking about uh, a porn star and what a porn star thinks, and, and and we're and we're always talking about sex. I am tired of talking about sex in this country. You know, uh, you know whether it's the LGBT issue or what. Sex, sex, sex. Tired
0: of it. Let's deal with real issues here.
3: But all I think, I'm saying is that what, what, what I what I refuse no, to allow whoa, 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 is the is
0: whoa, whoa. we know we 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 understand.
3: I don't I think no. The point the point that I want to make is he keeps saying a porn star, a porn, a porn star. star, and he is somebody who he is somebody who f's a porn star. That's so good. I we, wish well, well, we, well, we that's, that's That's alleged. That's that's alleged, Julia. We smear for what she does if we don't similarly smear him for what he does, <laughs> Julia. This it is,
0: is a legend I don't yeah. think anybody has been smeared. I mean, she is <laughs> being smeared by Mr.
2: Butler. She's
4: a porn star. At the end of the day, she's a porn star. She's a porn star.
3: The tone of the She is a yeah,
4: and let me say that again. So, if you don't know, she's a she's a, successful. Porn star. She a successful
3: business she's owner. She's a porn star. And a successful business she's owner. She's a porn star. Okay,
2: okay, okay guys. Okay, we know. <laughs> Holy smokes!
3: <laughs> I don't tolerate misogyny, <laughs> but, very but well. you know what
2: though? Well, but, just but this. And is I don't a, do, but but Julia, this, this is, is Julia. This is a legend, <laughs> though. Is that getting? This is getting lost in this. Okay, it's her word against the wait, president's
0: wait, word. Wait, Unless wait, there's a DVD. I think what's being lost in this is the is the distinct possibility that these things have not happened by accident and that individuals who engaged in consensual relations with a very wealthy and prominent sort of uh, TV star at that time kind of person, i.e. the person who is now president, um, are coming forward to talk about this. And I, I... really see a lot of this with all respect to individual claims whatever they might be i i'm, I'm not disrespecting anybody's mm-hmm. claim or the legal process by which that can be heard and adjudicated okay so i'm all okay with that but the it don't we see this as part of a overall attempt to destabilize the presidency a presidency to, to eliminate any sort of um Legitimacy, mm-hmm. uh, and and I mean I I think that's that's what we've been witnessing since the moment on people realized that Michigan and Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin were not coming into Hillary's column.
1: Some of this, though, I think, was created by the. Oh, we got to go. So
0: we got to go. We're, uh, we're, that's we, a good note to end. We're <laughs> Sorry, out, we're over. We'll be back in <laughs> touch right after this for our final segment with a terrific panel on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Chris Robling here for Bruce Dumont. Your TV is not lying to you. Talk to you soon.
7: <laughs> Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. The
4: and Indiana carried the Big Ten. Yeah, we did. For oh.
0: years. Yep. Hey. hey, good evening, everybody. We've got uh, breaking news. The Final Four pairings are out. They're official. They're final. It's going to be Loyola University of Chicago versus the University of Michigan. Go Blue! That. There you go. And uh, Villanova, the Augustinian. So we've got the Jesuits on one side of the bracket, and the Augustinians on the other. That's Villanova. And they will be playing Kansas, which defeated Duke in overtime. So that is one heck of a result. Loyola versus Michigan, Villanova versus Kansas. That's the final four for next weekend. Amar, you are about to make a very important point, and then we're going to talk about the Illinois primary, not for Illinois' sake, but for national trends.
1: Yeah, so the, the point about Trump... Being uh, Some of these self-inflicted wounds, I think, um, that created an environment where it seems like there are efforts to delegitimize him based on a lot of scandal. Some of that, I say, is self-inflicted wounds. I mean, he came in on waves of controversy. His Twitter account is notorious for stirring controversy. So there's something that can be said about efforts, external efforts to delegitimize him. But he's shot himself in the foot many a time, um, and, and
0: I think he has to own that. We had a big, uh, meaningful primary in the state of Illinois uh, last week, and we're the sixth largest state, and it was the first time we really were hearing from voters and not from analysts, but you guys are all analysts, and I wonder if you might want to speak for the voters and speak for our audience around the country. What did you see? What, what do you take away from this uh, particular primary in 2018? Jennifer, let's start with you.
2: Um, As an I've supporter, this was a a really...
0: You were were supporting the insurgent, conservative... Yes, as is my custom. ...challenger to the sitting Republican governor.
2: Yes, Bruce Rauner, who um, I could go on and on about what a horrible governor he is. He's betrayed all of us who are right of center. But... Be that as it may, I think it's really disappointing and says a lot about the unengaged Republican voter in this state because I know that Jeannie Ives did very well. Um, she came within she two and a half points of Bruce Rauner, a sitting governor. I mean, that's it's an amazing thing. I think she has a bright future um, in politics, not necessarily in the state, though, because this state has proven that they just really can't handle something that is non-establishmentarian, if you will. Um, it was a, a huge disappointment. I think that um, Bruce Rauner is going to lose, In fact, I don't think it, I know it. The man is going to lose because probably about a half of uh, Gene Ives supporters, me included, are not going to vote for Bruce Rauner. He, several people, yes, people I know, um, are not going to vote for him. Um, And this is unfortunate, but I, at this point, As much as I cannot stand uh, J.B. Pritzker, um, and I did call that he was going to win. I think a lot of us thought that he was going to win the primary. Um, He is going to be the next governor in this state. And you know what? At least he has principles. There are principles I don't agree with, but at least he stands by what he says. And I'll be stabbed in the front instead of the back. And that's what you're going to get with
0: Bruce Rauner. Julia Klein, what did you learn from the Illinois primary? Quickly.
3: So, so, yeah, as a progressive activist, I'm not celebrating as much as I would would have liked to be celebrating. Um, There were a few wins uh, for progressives. I was thrilled that uh, Fritz Kage, uh unseated one of the most corrupt politicians as, for Cook County Assessor. So for people
0: around the country, this is a an insurgent progressive reformer against an entrenched establishment assessor, which is a very powerful position in Cook County, the home of Chicago.
3: Yep. And another thing that... Uh, I, 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 gosh, I, I hate to even say it out loud because it's a very disappointing result, is that voter turnout was not as high as we would have liked to see, especially among millennials. That continues to be a huge problem. And I should hope that that's a bipartisan issue, that all of us at this table want every registered oh, voter yeah. to come out and vote. And the fact that they didn't, is that just, that just worries me.
0: Uh, Charles Butler. Well,
4: um, you know, I I think that uh, the governor's—we talk about the governor's race. I'd have to agree with you, Jennifer, that um, it it was close, Mm -hmm. and um, Miss Ives won. But you know, the the thinking with Republicans was that she couldn't win statewide, Mm -hmm. and that the Democrat would would um, would defeat her. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, because she was a great campaigner, she had some great points. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Raulner says that he's heard our message. I don't think he has no. because when we elected him to go into office, we sent him a message. And right. uh, he, over these last four years, he has not stepped up to the plate and delivered for the residents of Illinois. Uh, I think the the, the uh, attorney general's race is going to be interesting. With uh, very
0: interesting. So we have a wide open attorney general race for mm-hmm. those of you around the country and, and uh, a lot of different people. On the Democratic side, uh, the successor to Barack Obama in the state Senate was nominated. His name is Kwame Raul. He's an attorney and uh, very well thought of in the Chicago area. And on the Republican side, an African-American – he happens to be African-American. On the Republican side, an African-American lady named Erica Harold, who is a former Miss America, was nominated.
3: And a competent attorney.
0: Uh, uh, Amara, what what do you think about the possibility of this – Uh, new, very prominent African-American female Republican?
1: Well, she's run for office before Erica Harold from Urbana, Illinois. I think she is a formidable contender. She handily defeated uh, her her opponent. I think it's going to be a good race. I think she brings some uh, refreshment to the Republican Party Um, and her going up against Kwame Raul, I think, will bring out voters. I think that's going to be a more energized race. Um, On the gubernatorial side, I just want to make an interesting note that I had a conversation with a conservative who was contemplating the idea of voting for Chris Kennedy in the primary because he, as she stated, was the only independent voice that would challenge Mike Madigan. I thought that was fascinating. We
0: we should say... uh, Chris Kennedy, son of Robert F Senator Robert F. Kennedy, brother of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, uh, actually came in third yes. in this in this uh, so so just two real quick points. Um, turnout was a concern, and the establishment versus insurgent thing wasn't it wasn't necessarily predictive. We had one the the establishment won in the Republican Party, but the insurgent won in the Democratic Party. so we don't really know.
7: Is well, about do, right? in, we is, go. in,
3: in the
1: gubernatorial, Pritzker is establishment all the way.
3: Yes, yeah, he sure is.
1: Yeah. Kennedy was the insurgent. So the establishment
0: and kind of won in both parties. Yes. That's, that's news for around the country. I'm Chris Roebling, and I want to thank our tremendous panel, Charles Butler, Amara Enya, Julia Klein, and, of course, Jennifer Nevins. Beyond the Beltway is a Genevieve production produced in association with WLS Radio. I also want to thank Sam Greenberg. Fritz Goldman and Dan Dorfman for helping to get the program on the air tonight. Until next week, it's Chris Roebling, sitting in for Bruce Dumont, and good night from Chicago.
5: This March, Goodman Theatre Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theatre. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheatre.org.
7: Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- Seven nine nine seven zero nine six. That's seven six zero seven nine nine seven zero nine six. Or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert dot